0: Next news as it happens, next scheduled news at 11, over WOR Radio 710, the talk of New York. created a metal cartoon. Do you ever walk around, you know, creating these uh, cartoons in your head, huh? I just created a metal cartoon, right? Okay. The scene, you see what looks like St. Paul's Basilica, you know, and you see the Venetian canals and all that, and you see these two guys sitting what looks like on the curb, see, and they're wearing these buskins, and the, one guy's got the leather things, you know, that come up to the knees and all that, and another guy's got a plumed hat. And he's looking very depressed And the first one says to him But Francisco What kind of a renaissance man are you? You can't do a damn thing
1: <laughs> That's spelled D-A-M-M-E, right?
0: <laughs> How do you like that, you know? Did you, 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 know, you like that? I mean, usually you don't like my puns, right? But that isn't a pun, you know I mean, if you can imagine how, how discouraging it would have been for you to have been born a caveman, and you're very weak and small. I mean, you know, uh, it's like, uh, <laughs> well, uh, all right, Al, come on, let's let's get this thing underway. Come on, well, they're they're still going in there. Let's let's go. It's very difficult to get the crew here under control. <laughs>
1: Yeah, for the bear missed the train, I say, the 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 bear missed the train, the bear missed the train, and now he's walking, the bear missed the train, the bear missed the train. And now he's He's walking, Woo-hoo. oh oh. a bear missed the train! Oh, a bear missed the train! What oh, a bear missed the train! And now he's walking. He's walking near and far. He's walking everywhere. He's walking all around. Hey, he's riding in a car. Look at him, he's walking. Look at he's walking. The bear missed the train. I said the bear missed the train. The bear missed the train. Now he's walking, walking, walking. What's the bear the train? I say the bear miss the train. He's
0: Just love to get that out of my system once in a while. You know, you just gotta clear your sinuses. Phew. Ah, taking off my, taking off my buskin here. I mean, you know, I mean, let's face it. If you were born a Renaissance man, you couldn't paint, you couldn't write poems, and you know, you had uh, you had trouble coming up with concepts and. You didn't even understand what they were talking about when they mentioned the telescope. But very depressing. I mean, it's like uh, it's like being born in the age of knighthood, the age of chivalry, and you can't stand women. Well, the bear missed the train. <laughs> the bear missed the train. I say the bear missed the train. Oh well. Uh, now we've got to we've got to get uh, back to uh, <sighs> everything. Okay in there now. It's a very unusual scene here. And, you know, I'm glad it worked out. I mean, if, you know, I hate to, uh, you know, it's getting to the point where most people just hate to impose on the help. I, I, uh, I, the other day I got into an airplane. You know, it was a terrible scene. I don't want to mention the airlines, but it's a very official airlines, you know, and the kind that uh, offers you champagne and uh, everything, friendly skies, the whole works, you know, and they have uh, magnificent commercials. You know, the kind where they say you, you got to believe and oh, it's just tremendous. And I, I got in the plane there, and I sat around there for a while, 10, 15 minutes past the time the plane was to take off. And I could see the pilot up in the front. They didn't have the curtain pulled, you know. He's looking a little, little anxious. Kept looking at his watch and talking into the microphone and all that stuff. And the co-pilot kept making the notes on a on a clipboard. And then, just in passing, I I uh, I uh, heard why they why they were late. It seems that one of the one of the uh, stewardesses. Was uh, having a snit, and that she got mad, and she was locked in the john, and she wasn't going to come out, but to let Gladys apologize to her, and so we sat there for a while. And pretty soon Gladys went back and knocked, and did a little thing, and then we took off eventually. But I, I uh, it's getting to the point now. You've got to be very careful with the help, you know that Al. You just don't mess around with them. I mean, what, you know, they all got unions, and Jimmy Hoff on the whole thing. The next thing you know, you could tie up the whole Western world. I mean, if you tried to, you know, bring her out of the john with a crowbar. It uh, just ain't going to work, see? So you got to be careful these days, very careful. I, I uh, The other day, for example, I'm riding in a in a cab. Look, look, uh, you were just right there, Lee. I'm in this cab, right? And uh, we're sitting in a cab, and the meter's ticking away there. You know, by now, I could have easily paid the Bulgarian national debt. You know, we've only gone about seven blocks across town in New York. And uh, as you probably know, especially when there's a slight hint of rain in the air, all of New York, is struck by some curious catatonic state, Uh, nothing moves. I've seen cars that are in a traffic jam and there's only three cars on 6th Avenue when it rains. They just sit there. I guess it scares him, you know, the imposition of nature on the uh, truly urban man mind and he's not used to this. And so I'm sitting in his cab, right, and we finally arrive at my destination. And uh, we arrive up there, see, and... Just luckily enough, I had, uh, I just cashed a big check, see, so all I had was a 10 and a 5. So, uh, we stopped, and, uh, well, you didn't get that one, see, I went past her, I said, I just cashed a big check, so all I had was a 10 and a 5. So, uh, we arrived at the destination, and, you know, the check was like, I don't know, you know, staggering, and so I handed, uh, the guy says, see, you know, I handed him my 10, see, and he says, you got any singles? And I says, uh, well... Gee, actually, no, and uh, you, you could see his neck get red. You know, the back of the neck there. See, and he says, uh, "He says, you sure you ain't got no singles?" I mean, you know, he's a, uh, now he's making uh, an imposition on my honesty. I'm lying to him. You know, I was going to hand him my wallet. Here, look at look through it. You know, you can, if you find any in there, good luck. You know, and uh, he says, "Well, okay," and with that, he hands me the change back neat. I mean, he had the money. He just uh, didn't want to do it. <laughs> and I felt, you know what? What? See, I'm a truly modern man. I'm truly part of the scene, see. And I took the modern man's stance, which was, of course, apologetic. Uh, all that uh, that the, no, uh, there's no way that the, that the average person today can go except to apologize at all points for your failure to fill uh, the high goals and ideals of the people who perform the uh let's say the task for you at high salaries See, you, you don't want to you don't want to uh, you know run across any any paths. it's like us we are apologizing to the vietnamese well you know <laughs> the more you send the more you apologize and i've discovered friends that the higher the tip you give out the the, the higher the apology quotient is Have you notice that oh yes listen i i uh I, I one time went to, went to a restaurant here right in New York City. saying it was a very elegant restaurant, one of those places where uh, you must call in, uh, maybe three or four months beforehand, uh, to make sure that you can get your your uh, reservation and all. And it's very elegant, and it's always mentioned in New York magazine. You know, New York is uh, very big. Huh? They seem to be a bunch of eating slobs over there. That's all they do is eat, and uh, yeah, that's a uh, you know every big new whole big uh, issue this time. See, uh, spaghetti joints. And there's people that are rating them. So, anyway, I go over to this restaurant, right? And so I go in. I'm all dressed up. And the next thing you know, I find that I've got this table that is jammed in between the door to the men's room. Right next to me is the door. Every time that a swing opens, see, shoom, like that, I could smell all this disinfectant, you know, come drifting out all over my $17 fettuccine. And uh, on one side is the men's room. And on the other side is the place where the waiter and the busboys come back and throw the dirty dishes. I'm clamped in between those two things <laughs> and uh, I might add that the girl I was with uh, she had a very she had a clear unsullied view of the men's room in full action every time the door would swing open all these guys are milling around in there you know and it was very romantic so uh, I, I I tried to uh, you know I tried to say something to i, I said uh, Luigi he says uh, excuse me sir sir so I'm busy goes Russian Pass, see? And uh, they had brought us this drink. And so maybe 15, 20 minutes go by, and 275 guys have gone in and out of the men's room. And now the pile of dirty dishes next to me in this great big greasy tin tray, which is right at my right elbow. I mean, I could just reach out and stick my... You know, I could stick my elbow into the used mashed potatoes. See, there it is. It's piled up. By now, this thing is so high, I'm I'm afraid any minute. You know, I can see the headline now: Shepherd buried under avalanche of dirty dishes at El Figarino, uh, elegant East Side Bois, recommended by New York Magazine as a four-star. Gail Green really loved the Cataloni. So uh, here I am sitting in between this thing, seeing. And finally, I, I I finally got Luigi's eye. It's very difficult, you know. A waiter has discovered many waiters, waitresses too, are good at this. And uh, there are other people in service who are excellent at this thing. It's, wh- it's what could be called the opaque eye, where the person can look directly at you and yet not see you, unless you're waving a $20 bill, at which point 17 of them will descend on you like the locust hitting a cantaloupe patch, right? So, uh, you know, I, I uh, poor old... Uh, Poor, you know, I have poor old shepherd sitting in the in the in the middle there, and the door keeps swinging open, and the disinfectant. By the way, the disinfectant I discovered, which was, uh, you know, the usual, you know, the disinfectant they put in the urinals, these little white things, and all. It's kind of nice. You get so you kind of like that after a while that smell, and and it it mixes well. I might add with Gordon's gin. Yes, makes a nice piquant aftertaste to a dry martini. And so the door is swinging open, the dishes are flying. So the, the final straw came when, when some guy came running over, a uh, best boy, you know, he had 17,000 dishes and all kinds of stuff, and he slaps him into this great big... You know, and I'm in the middle of one of my elegant David Niven monologues, and I'm saying, oh, but you are so elegant, my dear. Boom! He throws the plates in there, and I'll be damned if a used meatball with one bite out of it didn't bounce twice and land right smack in the middle of our, our gerbs. Well, at that point, you know, I knew. Uh, and what was worse, the girl didn't see it, and she just reached down and picked up the meatball and started, yeah, you want to say, hey, watch out there, you know. You don't know what that guy had that took the first bite out. So uh, I, said to, I said to the said the waiter goes, by way, it's Luigi, Luigi. He says, excuse me, and he runs on past. So I got up, you see. I says, I'm, I'm going to do something really big this time. So I reaches in my pocket and I take out a 20 see so at that point I go Luigi Luigi he says ah oh, si 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 senor and he comes running over what can I do for you I says get me out of this table and he says uh, what but this, this is such an elegant table we have prepared this especially for you for the privacy is a privacy you see we uh, realize that you are you wish the young lady you wish privacy I says, privacy are you referring to the privy right here next to me buddy he said, "Ah, oh, it's a privacy. Oh, it's a very funny, very funny. But this is a gentleman's room. It's a very elegant place." Well, I discovered, friends, that um, at that point, Shepard's famous apologia quotient took over, and I apologized to him for complaining about the table. And I, I said, "What am I doing this for?" He said, "Why are you apologizing? Look at all those other people. They're buying food off the same menu. They're paying for it with the same kale, the same cabbage." Why are you apologizing for sitting next to the men's room with a used meatball bouncing off your head? I had no answer, except that it is the condition of mankind today. Can you imagine Gary Cooper apologizing when he walks into the Silver Dollar and he says whiskey, and the guy comes up and says rather whiskey? Can you imagine him apologize? Oh, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to ask you whiskey. You just bring me the Ovaltine. Uh, anything you got? No way. He'd probably pull out his 45 and plug him. Right? We're living in the age of the total apology. Oh, well, listen, I know one guy who apologized to his analyst because the stories he was telling the analyst were not exciting enough, and the analyst was getting bored with his life. You know, you're supposed to lay there on the couch and tell your life. And one day he caught the analyst yawning, and the guy says, Yeah, I hated to go back. He told me, you know, Stanley told me. He says, you know, Shep, I, I, you know, I'm only paying this guy $65 an hour, you know, and there's guy's right there in the same block that are getting 110 an hour, you know. He's giving me a break right there, and I'm just embarrassed. Can I borrow some of your stories to tell him? And so I gave him a little material, and now he's getting along better with his analyst. This is WOR New York, and if you please, Ein zwei, drei. If you're a comparison shopper, then listen to this. This is Mrs. Joyce Cherubino. Mrs. Cherubino, would you tell us what happened to you here today at Acme Super Saver?
1: I was checking out, and you asked us to compare prices at another store. I went and bought the exact same items and compared the cost.
0: Now, you selected the store yourself. Yes. And you duplicated your Acme Super Saver order Item for item and pound for pound at that other store, right? Yes. Okay. Now you're back with the sales slips from both stores. Let's compare them. What was the total for the items here at Acme Super Saver?
1: Fifty-four eighty-one.
0: And at the other store for the same items?
1: Sixty-two thirty-four.
0: Now, how much of a saving was that?
1: Seven dollars and fifty-three cents less at Acme.
0: So you saved that much
1: here at Acme. Yes. Well, was that much of a surprise to you? Yes, I was shocked. But pleased, I'm sure. Yes, pleasantly. Thank you very much for your help. Say you compare for super savings on your total food bill. We well, you think you're going to like it here at Acme
0: and Super Saver Markets. Bum, ba dum, bum, and that was another superb example of the commercial verite. You know, that's, that's just a shepherd's just come up with a new phrase, the commercial verite. You know, that's where they have a fake lady. You've seen those commercials. Now, they got all kinds of them. Uh, Mrs. Gladys uh, Squibbly Up Spips, will you try the cleaner on the left now and see, you know. And she goes, oh, yeah, it's, it's behold. Well, yes, uh, oh, I'm going to buy that now. You've seen those by the trillions. That's called the uh, commercial verite, or the, uh, let's put it this way, the phony uh, <laughs> the, the, the documentary <laughs> where, where the outcome is sickeningly predictable at no point did she say what do you mean I act me I come with $20 more what are you talking about she said but you shouldn't have bought the cantaloupes well I I have <laughs> boom ba dum, bum. six of one half a dozen of the others friends we're all in it together now I want you to take your putt I want you to pull your weight friends and I have something that I know is going to just a minute after these next few commercials hold on a minute now it's going to give you backbone and guts Wait a minute, I've got it here. Yeah, I've got my backbone and guts file here. Yeah, it's very good. My damn backbone and guts file is as soft and as soupy as a noodle. Sickening. Please, Al, please. Spring is in the air, so men are hassling women again. Why do they do it? In this week's Village Voice, Barbara Damrosch proposes an answer with The Sex Ray, One Woman's Theory of Street Hassling. A Vietnam vet looks at the fall of Vietnam, and Judith Coburn reports on the controversy that threatens to split the women's movement. Pick up the voice on your newsstand today and keep ahead of the times. What do you mean, split the women's movement? Was it ever together? I mean, uh, I don't, <laughs> every movement I know is constantly being split. That's the essence of movements. You always got different opinions, you know, that's the problem. I, you, we ought to create some kind of a machine. Of course, this is the totalitarian ideal where all men's minds work exactly alike and there is no split. Wouldn't that be nice game? It would? <laughs> oh, you think so, huh? bum ba dum 1984. And Big Brother is not only watching you, he's listening to you, and he's calling your golf shots. bum pa dum bum and uh, while we're on the subject of, uh, of elegant restaurants, this is one of the reasons why I like to go to the Blue Ribbon. Uh, you know, by the way, may I say one thing personal here about the Blue Ribbon? Uh, the Blue Ribbon, now, just yesterday I was talking to an editor. Now, listen carefully if you want to talk about real New Yorkers. You know, there's there's, there's a certain kind of, a, of a, what could be called... A, uh, in any big city and especially this city there are about fifteen to maybe five hundred kinds of new yorkers kinds i mean straight i'm not talking about ethnic racial i'm talking about there's there's the new yorker that proclaims himself a new yorker he even calls his magazine the new yorker uh... this is read largely by people who live in connecticut whose only contact with new york is to come in every couple of weeks and pick up a few baubles of Tiffany, you see. And maybe the old man, uh, every three or four months when he leaves Palm Beach, uh, takes a quick trip into what is called the city, uh, down to the office on Wall Street, and uh, sits in on a few meetings. Now, that's, <laughs> that's called the New Yorker, see. Well, <laughs> then there's then there's the the the, uh, the, 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 co- the kind of cafe social society New Yorker. That's the magazine represents, that, the one that represents that is New York. Right, you know well you got to go to the right restaurant you must read George Plimpton's latest and you have to see Dustin Hoffman's latest epic it's just it's all part of that uh, of that you have to uh, whatever it might be see now then there's a third group of New Yorkers who are really the working New Yorkers you know spend their whole time and life in the city and they uh, they call a pox on all houses. You see, they don't, they, they, they don't care what Gail Green says about a restaurant one way or the other. You know? they, don't, they couldn't care less uh, whether or not Pauline Kale likes the movie. And, uh, and I'm not talking about Archie Bunker. That's another crowd. I'm talking about a, a very different kind of a hip crowd. Well, the other day I'm talking to, a, to a, uh, an editor. This is, a, this is a, a dynamic girl editor at Simon & Schuster. I won't, I'll even tell you where it was. And uh, born and bred a New Yorker, and so uh, she's really she's the kind of New Yorker that Mademoiselle and and that, let's say Cosmopolitan always writes about, you know, the Cosmo girl, what she does. Well, that's not what anything the Cosmo girl really does. It's what it's what Helen Gurley Brown decides that she and her friends do. So it's nothing to do with what the real Cosmo girl does. So here's the here's the dynamic girl career all the way. See, she's made it. See. And so I'm talking to her, and I said, she says, let's have lunch about that. And I said, great. She says, well, listen, she says, I, I hope you don't uh, want to go to some place like Jilly's or Billy's or Elaine's or Boo Boo's and those places. She said, I can't stand those joints. I said, well, you and me both, baby. She says, how about going to my favorite restaurant? And I said, fine, where is it? She says, well, it's, I hate to apologize, it's right there in Midtown, you know, right off Times Square. I says, no kidding. She says, yeah, she said, it's the Blue Ribbon. I says, my God, are you kidding? You? And <laughs> it's it's that kind of. It's, I'm very. I'm telling you a true story. So anyway, it's that kind of a restaurant. If you uh, there's a certain kind of uh, New Yorker who knows about this, uh, but the, you're not going to read about it in New York. And uh, eventually, probably. And at that day, when it, when you read about it in New York, forget it. It's all going to be over. You know, the 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 velvet rope goes up. Jackie Kennedy comes in, and uh, we all go out. So, uh, nevertheless, the the Blue Ribbon is on 145 West 44th Street, right off of Times Square. Now, the reason, one of the reasons I go there, it's one of the places in town, and please get down there as soon as you can, because this is the time for it. They serve fresh Delaware River and Hudson River Shad and Shad Row, and it is magnificent. Do you like that now? Have you ever had it? You've never had it? It's one of the true gourmet treats of the eastern seaboard, and it's only for a few brief weeks. It's in the very brief spring when the shad run, and uh, they're loaded with shad row. Shad roe. properly prepared with just a touch of perhaps crisp bacon, a little, a little fresh cut lemon. It is fantastic. And I would like to recommend the shad and the shad roe very highly at the Blue Ribbon. Another thing, too, incidentally, they make all their own bread. And they have some of the most exotic, magnificent Middle European breads. Uh, for example, they have a dark, rich, uh, kind of a... It's kind of a, a raisin uh, pumpernickel with a slight aftertaste of anise. So It's made into small, round rolls. Fantastic bread. And incidentally, if you, if you like the bread there, ask them for the recipe. They'll be glad to give you... Uh, they, they keep recipes on hand for their bread. Anytime you are interested ask him. You know, making bread is becoming a whole big new bit people are doing. And if you'd like to taste some really great homemade bread, you know, every morning, uh, George himself goes in. He owns this place, goes in, and he, he, this is the way he gets his, uh, his, say, his daily concentration. You know, like some guys walk in. This is a true story. This is not a, a, uh, an advertising pitch because I've known him for a long time. And only recently did he tell me this. He says, you know, the best time of my day is at 5 o'clock in the morning. He says, I go upstairs all by myself. And he says, and I, I uh, get away. He says, the restaurant doesn't open until later. And he says, I'm away from the whole thing, 5 in the morning in the city. And he says, and I, and I love to bake all these breads. He does it himself. And, uh, for, <laughs> you know, I, I was kind of surprised because generally uh, when, uh, when people get to the place where they own a major restaurant, they do none of the work, no way. And George does it because he digs it. He's a bread freak and a baking freak. So this is the Blue Ribbon, elegant, elegant uh, German food and Middle European, Austrian food. And it's at 145 West 44th Street, right off of 6th Avenue. The Blue Ribbon. One other thing about him, and uh, this is, again, not part of the commercial, but he also serves some of the best draft beers in town, uh, draft German beers, and also... One of my favorites is a draft light prior beer. You know that draft light prior? Have you ever had draft prior? Well, this is the Blue Ribbon. They're not open on Sunday, but they're open every other day for lunch and dinner, and they're open after the theater. It's a great place to go for an apple coogan, which is a big apple cake. It's an apple pancake, a huge apple pancake, about the size of a double Jersey pizza. And it's served with cinnamon, slight slight touch of... uh, of uh, lemon on it and thick apple slices. It's magnificent with the beer, right? So <laughs> this is the curse of the Weight Watcher world. This is Blue Ribbon and it's at 145 West 44th Street. bum
1: ba bum What you're listening to is a standing ovation and it's not for a Broadway show or a ballet or a rock concert. It's for Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. As a matter of fact, for the first time in our history, we've been getting standing ovations at almost every performance. Maybe it's because we've added more sensational acts than ever before. Maybe it's because our production numbers are more imaginative than ever before. Maybe it's because more and more adults are realizing that they haven't outgrown our circus after all, but that they're really enjoying it even more now than when they were kids. After all, unlike a child, a grown-up sees what goes into what's going on at the greatest show on earth a grown-up realizes that our circus is more than just entertainment, that it's more than just an art form or a number of art forms, that it's really an experience that almost refuses definition. Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey Circus, at the Garden now through May 26th. Come, you'll enjoy us even more now than when you were a kid.
0: If you're looking for fun,
1: come on into the sun. I'm National me, Taking a flight. I'll
0: be doing it right. I'm National friendly. Yeah, okay. All right, here I am, National Airlines, starting the 14th of April, introducing No Frills Fair. No frills, that means uh, no meals, none of that jazzy stuff. And you'll say 35 cents off the day coach fare. Miami, Fort Lauderdale is only 61 bucks. But you must purchase your tickets when you make reservations at least seven days in advance. So get all the details from your travel agent or National Airlines.
1: You're flying I'm fly like
0: uh, would you please uh, uh, give me, if you will, Al, uh, great moments of indescribably corny music. You'll find it in there, Mark. You'll look it up. And uh, if you will find, uh, uh, say, uh, on the second side there, I have one marked in red. It looks like maybe cut 25 way at the end there. Is yes. Something really British, man. Because I, I, I feel that it's time now to... Uh, to bring out some of these things to bolster the spine everything's happening <laughs> and before we do this i'm going to have to tell you what the story is on it it's the coronation march i believe right yeah, that's right uh, i'm going to have to tell you why i'm doing this uh, gang i'm uh, i i i, uh, I have a uh, a difficult confession to make and uh, it is that that uh, I, I, you know, some kids have trouble in school with uh, arithmetic, you know, math. I never did. No, no way. Uh, that was easy. Uh, other kids have trouble with gym. Oh yeah, you'd be surprised at the number of people that, that can't hack playing volleyball. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a whole crowd of kids, you know, that are just fumbling around there for years and can't do any sign of any of that problem. But I'm going to tell you what my problem was. My problem, and it was the the, the true, and I'm I'm. I'm telling you this tonight because I got a letter from a kid that says, Dear Shepherd, I'm in school and I'm having a terrible, rotten time with diagramming English sentences, and I can't stand it, and I can't tell anybody. I told my dad the other day, and my dad laughed and said, You must be stupid. And I told my teacher I can't do it. And she says, You're going to have to do it if you're going to get a grade, and I just don't know what to do. Please,
1: sign, tell me what happened to you when you were a kid.
0: <laughs> well, look, kid. I'll tell you, kid, everybody has his cross. Oh, yes, no question about it. Everybody has his cross. And uh, and it, it is. Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to accept, but everybody does have his cross. The most implacable people. For example, do you know that, that, that Jack Nicholas has a cross that he bears? Jack Nicholas has a terrible time every time he goes in a restaurant because he loves big, fat, Juicy hamburgers with big fat slabs of cheese on them, and he loves to wash them down with a double rich chocolate malted with uh, chocolate ice cream, possibly with a little, a couple of scoops of. Uh, they used to call him the Golden Bear, right? With 900 pounds. Well, now he can't do that. So you don't think that uh, that he's getting the thrill out of uh, socking home one of the 90 foot putts that he would have? If he could say, well, now, after that 90-foot putt, how about a big triple malted with a coffee ice cream on top, huh? No. So there's crosses, crosses, crosses everywhere you look. And, kid, my cross, when I was in school, if you want to know one of the few things that caused me to hide in the bathroom for weeks on end and uh, dread going to school, was all the way through, all the way through my grade school career, and it even went into... The first couple of years of high school was inevitably somewhere in the semester I would run into some English teacher who would be a poetry cuckoo. English, especially lady teachers, tend to be hung on poetry. And uh, I'll just tell you what happened to me one time with, with Miss Robinette. Miss Robinette was, even with a name like that, you know, you can just see her, Miss Amelia Robinette. Oh, my God, you know. Can't you just see her at home reading Emily Dickinson? You know, <laughs> this teacher at the Warren G. Harding School dreaming that her candle is burning at both ends. Oh, but my, what a lovely light it makes. And so uh, here she is, you know. she and Her eyes get all puddly in the spring. During average days, you know, when the temperature was 40 below zero and the wind is blowing and the polar bears are killing kids out on the front porch at a playground and all that stuff, she was just like a normal person. But as soon as the spring came up, and that's what we're going through right now, she would look long, it was drifting, dreamy looks out of the window, looking over in the direction of the blast furnace, see, and, uh, you know, where it was reported that at four o'clock there was a piece of sky that could be seen and uh, she'd look out there and it was spring was in the air and then she would start reading us things like uh, oh something about John Quills uh, uh, she was always talking about a field of waving waving daffodils and uh, and she her eyes would puddle up and then I, I would start getting scared see because the next thing that would follow would be what is called euphemistically the assignment well the assignment during this unbelievably rotten spring period would always be to memorize a poem better known as a poem memorize a poem she would assign poems to kids who would not pick a poem so she'd say either you pick one or uh, boys and girls poetry is so lovely it must enter your world You, you must either pick one or I will assign one well, I always used to fight. See, I was always a believer that don't ever give up. See, I really did believe that. That that, that if I picked one, of course the die was cast. I was going to have to do it. If I didn't pick one, maybe she'd get hit by lightning before she assigned me one. So <laughs> you know, play it down to the damn last dog is on. So so on this. Terrible, terrible occasion. It was, it was April, just like this. And I want to tell you, it wasn't until I, 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 years later, I, you know, T.S. Eliot had no place in the Warren G. Harding School. It wasn't until years later when I heard that T.S. Eliot had said April is the cruelest month. You know, he did say this. I did not realize the truth of that uh, until this, oh, just an awful month. April is the month, by the way. You don't know how cruel it can be. When fading left-handed pitchers are finally cut ultimately from the squad. It is in April that this happens. Yes. Mel Stottlemyre, where are you tonight? The cruelest month. And one day, Miss Robinette looked me right in the eye, and there I am way in the back there with the other people in the last the tail end, the bottom end, the the butt end of the alphabet. And me and Schwartz and Helen Weathers and Chester Wisniewski. and she spotted me back there, and she says, "And yeah, that uh, Jean." Uh, and she says, uh, "Here is a wonderful poem that I think will provide inspiration for you and for the people who have read this through the ages." And it was given to me in a mimeograph form. Do you want to hear the poem? Would you please bring me a little of that inspirational music there? Because this is the epitome of the British Empire. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about don't deal in lies or being hated don't give away to hating and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise if you can dream and not make dreams your master if you can think and not make thoughts your aim if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop to build them up again with worn out tools that's it that's it that's just the beginning Can you imagine in fifth grade trying to learn that? I I, I brought this home, see, and, and, oh, God, my head turned to, it turned to yogurt, you know, and I, I so there's times when you just can't remember, you can't remember your own name, especially when you're told to memorize something, memorize. And my mother's, you know, like she always was, she was messing around the kitchen, and I come in dragging my behind, you know, oh, God, it's spring and this, and in just 10 days, I'm going to have to get up, and I'm going to have to give my poem by memory in front of the class, and it was always certain people in the class who were, oh, unbelievably glib, oh, we had this guy named Jack Martin, he didn't even have to memorize the poems, he knew them, and he would do them with gestures, I mean, this kid, they did everything but come in in costume, you know. He could quote whole pages of Ivanhoe and come in wearing, wearing uh, chain mail, riding a horse with lights, medieval music playing behind them. And then it was me and Jossway, poor Joshua, I'll never forget Josway. josway uh, I, I remember Josway one time, who was, by the way, a great football player. Later went out to play at Notre Dame, you know. This is the kind of guy he was, he had no neck, you know, that kind the toughest kid around, you know. Alec Jossue Jossue got up and started to give his poem, and he, I remember his opening line. He says, "I tear her tattered, tattered,
1: ta- ta- tattered, tattered, tattered ensign." I, I, and he started to cry in front of the class.
0: I tear her tattered ensign. And every night, my mother would say, "Well, now you give me the poem. Now I'm going to sit here and and I'm going to read it, and you you give me what you you know." She's prompting me. And I'd say, if you can keep your... My mother would say, now, what do you have on your shoulders? What is it that you're not using? (sighs) My bike. Your head, your head. Now, let's start at the beginning. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs. It made no sense to me. I couldn't understand what they meant by that. You know, when kids are five, you know, in fifth grade, they don't talk about losing your head. You talk about uh, losing your fielder's myth, you know, <laughs> or losing a tennis shoe, but you don't lose your head. So, kid, if it is uh, diagramming sentences that get you, I sympathize with you. It is memorizing poetry that gets me. And I grew up with a lifelong antipathy to people who invite you to their house And then, after dinner, you sit around and listen to their Dylan Thomas records. Oh, God. Please, Al.
1: We're sure, we're sure, we're sure at Shopwell. We're
0: sure well, sure, sh- when we go down to that old Shopwell, sh- Spend Less is on Shopwell's Plump USDA Grade A Sugar Plump Chickens. This week, 47 cents a pound. They're the freshest, juiciest, most flavorful chickens in town. Spend Less specials in all Shopwell departments. Unconditional guarantee guarantees that you will save at Shopwell. For example, uh, Marcel Facial Tissues, box of 200, three for one banana, one buck. Shop! <laughs>
1: We're Peter and Hayes are Mary Healy for Finnair. Uh, tell me, Peter, Peter, tell
0: me again. Why do you want to go to Russia?
1: Because Finnair has an escorted tour there.
0: That's the reason? Well, Mary, we've enjoyed other Finnair escorted tours. I'm spoiled. That's the reason? Well, there's Moscow, Leningrad, Kiev, and, of course, Finland. I'd like to see them.
1: That's the reason.
0: No, those are the reasons.
1: I suppose Finnair
0: has an escorted tour to Siberia, too. Mm, yes, to Samarkand, Tashkent. But don't tell everyone or you'll spoil Siberia.
1: Peter, why would anyone want to take a Finnair escorted tour to Siberia? Come to think of it, you can't spoil Siberia. It's frozen. Go to Finland and Russia with the unusual attentive service only experienced world travelers have found. Ask for a tour that's right out of Finnair. It's the start of the finish.
0: Yeah, let's see. Finnair's new brochure, Russian Festival Tours, is available. So see your travel agent. That's Finnair's Russian Festival Tours. Okay. Oh, by the way, speaking of uh, little commercial dinghies here, we have uh, one Monday. Anytime you guys are ready, just bring it in with the the bugles. It's all right. Hey, Elvis is coming to town. The Elvis, 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 in person one day only, July 19th for two big shows at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum in colorful Uniondale, New York. Tickets are now on sale at all Ticketron outlets. That's Elvis in person one day only, Saturday, July 19th at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Uniondale. Do not miss it. He guarantees to try to fly over the Grand Canyon this time, riding his guitar. Bring it on. You know, there's a parallel between Elvis and Evil Knievel. You notice that George Plumpton never tries any of Knievel's stunts? Uh, let's see George Huntman jump over 47 Dodge pickup trucks riding a Honda 350. <laughs> come on, bring it up here, Al. Oh, that's it. You've got to keep those people moving there. Come on, move along, move along. We're bringing in the next show here. Come on, you've seen the show. Now get out. Be sure to come back next week. There's a whole new bill coming out. we got the seals with the bugles. Pearl Mother and his Talking Goldfish, we're going a fantastic show for you next week. Well, come on, move along, move along, kids. Keep your hands off the Cracker Jack boxes unless you're going to buy. It. Come on. Life is a gallimockery. You want to hear the rest of Rudyard Kipling's If? About you are losing their head, except you, and they're blaming you for it all. Sounds like the office, doesn't it? He has no solution. Oh, no, he doesn't solve anything in the problem. He just says, Stick in there, and if they're gonna kill you, let them kill you. That's all. Well, that's what's gonna happen anyway. This is WOR New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation.
1: Global Oil Corporation presents In Conversation, a half hour of lively talk meant to enlighten and involve you, the listener. Tonight our host is Gerard Peel, publisher of the magazine Scientific American.